Welcome to the Mix Masters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merritt Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for this podcast is Alex Marquides. Alex makes his home in Bethesda, Maryland, but he doesn't spend a lot of time there. He's usually out on the road with bands like Killswitch Engage, Steel Panther, Periphery, and others. In fact, I met Alex while we were on tour with Steel Panther. Alex and I worked regularly to coordinate our RF channels, and after that was taken care of, I tried to steal as much knowledge and information from him as possible. Interestingly enough, as I was putting together this podcast series and talking with other engineers, nearly all of them requested that I have Alex as a guest. That's because Alex is one of those guys that quietly nails his mix night after night, regardless of the venue or the conditions. I had the pleasure of listening in on Alex's monitor mixes for Steel Panther on numerous occasions, and they were always flawless. Alex has worn many hats over the years, front of house, monitors, tour manager, lighting director, you name it and he's probably done it. He definitely has a deep and vast level of knowledge and experience, and I barely managed to scrape the surface of that in this episode. I had an absolute blast with Alex while touring, and I had a blast recording this episode. Please enjoy and be sure to follow Alex online. Links to his profiles and contact information are in the show notes for this episode. Hey, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being a guest today. How uh, how you been doing? What are you up to uh, with the uh, pandemic? Well, yeah, I've just been uh, hanging out at home. Actually, it's been kind of nice uh, to be home uh, because I'm usually on tour constantly. So the first month was pretty nice just to chill and uh, reorganize and do whatever and then I'm, now I'm getting a little bit stir crazy trying to go do something so I think even if it's a, a you know shitty ten dollar an hour job I just want to get the hell outside it's but, funny I think we're all in the same boat you know like going to the grocery store is exciting right now uh, oh absolutely it's like the highlight of my day I get all you know we get all jacked up and masks and everything and I actually have like an N95 filtered mask because I like have a wood shop or whatever, so uh, I have a like a real <laughs> legit mask. Uh, my mom has the nicer one that I had, but whatever. Got to take care of the folks. Of course. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about some of your non-sound stuff in a little bit, but I'd I'd like to start off by learning a little bit about your musical past. Um, I know from being on tour with you that you're a very musical guy. Uh, you shred on the guitar, you play some drums, you uh, do a little bit of everything, but what uh, what age were you when you got interested in music, and hmm. where did you see yourself going in your musical career? Uh, I think it was about 1996, so I was about 10 or 11. I only remember that date because that's when we moved from our old house into the, the one that we were currently in. Uh, I remember my best friend Sergio's mother got me a guitar, 
for like a as a present. It was like a shitty Toys R Us guitar, you know, like had a speaker like on the body. It was hilarious. I actually didn't like it, and because uh, I, I, I thought it was too hard or whatever, so I had it. We returned it, and then I bought like a real small drum kit after that. Like I don't know, a year or two later, uh, and then I got really, really into playing drums like all the time. Uh, and I think that kind of started me to, you know, play with friends and like, you know, have jam sessions and stuff. And then eventually I picked up the guitar again. I was like, man, I actually understand this now. Uh, I also played music in high school. I played the flute. Uh, I wasn't very good, but it was all girls <laughs> and me. Was that your uh, motivation for the flute or uh, how did you get th- steered? Into I don't that? know, man, that was fifth sixth grade that was like so long ago uh the flute and then i played trumpet for a bit uh and then i went to uh drumline in uh high school um but then so after uh the first year of high school i went to a boarding school for the last three years and uh we had a like a guitar club which is basically just like a jam sesh with whoever you know like the kids in the school and then we had two or three musical teachers uh, actually, one was an English teacher, one was a history teacher, and the other guy was, uh, I think, a science teacher, who all played instruments. And we were all hanging out together. And uh, one of my best friends, uh, Mark, who I met uh, there, uh, we started uh, jamming together, and we like formed a band. Uh, the band was called One Hot Second. Terrible name. Um, wasn't even uh, a real thing. I mean, we tried, we had some shows and we did covers a lot and stuff like that. But anyway, we, uh, we had the band and, uh, we, both of us were like real interested in recording, you know, in recording like the band. Yeah. And, uh, so we like started to learn about that. And then eventually we started doing some live shows at the school we actually even convinced our uh, principal and music teachers to like let us take over the gym uh, for like a big festival show thing that we put on. That we were like the headliner or whatever. It was so bad. <laughs> um, and then um, after that, we actually put on like three more shows. We did like a summertime show, uh, like an outdoor thing with like a bunch of the teachers and stuff in our band as well. And then we did one in our dining room. Uh, like we, we all had like dinner and then like we did a, like a nighttime event or whatever. And so the, the teachers like formed a band also, and there was like four bands on the bill or whatever. And again, we were like the last ones too. There's actually a bunch of documentaries about this that are real bad on YouTube. I'm not going to tell you where they are, (laughs) but they're all there. Uh, I also have a ton of footage. Uh, from those days, but uh, actually, our, my friend Mark, who was our guitar player in our band, actually got suspended uh, the week before we were supposed to have the show. It was we're a three piece or whatever, it's bass, drums, guitar, and so me and my uh, bassist ended up just doing an acoustic set, and it was just like a fucking disaster. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, recording, we were like super into recording, and we like loved it. Uh, once I was 17, 18, I believe, uh, my buddy Billy worked at American University here in D.C. Or no, he didn't work there, rather. He had a friend that worked there and was like, hey, do you want to come help us do, like, you know, stagehand shit for local shows? And we're like, 
yeah, like whatever. He's like, you will get paid, but you'll get food and it'll be fun. Like, um, so we ended up doing that, and it was uh, the first show we did was Lewis Black. Oh wow! Who was a you know comedian, but it was like a big. It was like two or three semis full of gear, and like you know, back then I'm two thousand four, I think two thousand three. Uh, it was all park hands and like big speakers and like, it wasn't like a quick rig, you know, it was like, it definitely took some time, but man, after that first day I was hooked on like unloading, like it sounds stupid. I was like hooked on unloading trucks and putting it all together. Cause I loved the way it looked or like how it, the end result after yeah. like doing all this work, you just like, you look up, you're like, shit, there's a lot of gear up in the air. Like it's crazy. Then after that we did, Jimmy World Taking Back Sunday. Uh, then we did another comedian. I can't remember the name. And then after that, we did Dashboard Confessional, which was cool. Andrew WK, which I ended up working uh, the load in and then doing security because <laughs> it was like chaos in this. Like it was in a tiny uh, cafeteria, like area or whatever. And like we ended up, me and my friend ended up loading in all day long and then doing security, which was a disaster. And that's how I figured out that I didn't want to do security ever again. Cause it's just, it's, it's so annoying. Um, and the kids are super annoying, you know, at Andrew WK show 2003, fucking people are jumping all over the place, all over everybody's head. And it's like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that ever. Yeah. That's uh probably not high on my desired jobs list either right now. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, I guess right now I'll do whatever, but there's no security, you know. Um, But I mean, uh, after that, I went to the University of Maryland. I I had pretty good grades in boarding school, and I went to the University of Maryland, and I was uh, a day student because I didn't want to live on campus because I had already been in a dorm room for like three and a half years, and I was like, I don't want to fucking do that again. Uh, ended up hating it, uh, because I was just like, I, I couldn't get into the music program, uh, or like the engineering program or whatever, uh, because I had to be a music major and I didn't want to music, like major in music. Right. But that was, that it had to be like, you were going for like advanced music theory and then the engineering is like a half semester thing. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want it to be like, whatever legit thing i tried to get out of that and my parents were super mad and like you know whatever and i was like look there's this uh this is school full sale and you know whatever it's like the new thing you know everybody's going so me and my buddy mark actually went down to full sale and checked it out and uh it's cool i mean like it's so expensive like absurdly expensive and i was like i don't can't you know, pay for this. Uh, I, I didn't, parents can afford it. You know, it's like a hundred grand or some shit. It was like, it's, it's insane how much it costs down there. And like when we took the tour, like all of this, you know, the speaker cones were like pushed in and like the, one of the main studios was like in a concrete room. And I was like, yeah, this is like real world, like gear, but this is not real world shit. Like, I don't want to learn in this yeah. anyway. So like I was kind of turned off by that 
And then there was another school in this area called Omega Studios where they did like, uh, they recorded Bad Brains and a bunch of real famous bands and uh, big orchestras. Um, so I went there and it's a working studio. So you learn, uh, well, they're all day classes, but like the, the studio runs all the time. So all their gear is in completely top shape. And I think I learned there more than I think I would have at Full Sail. And uh, because even the engineers there are working real world problems, even like be like, oh, well, shit, this morning in my session, I had this problem with the with this console. And now you and I can figure out how to do it. And the classes were like five to seven people. Well, like the theory part of it, uh, which was about eight months, I think, which was cool because I didn't touch a console for like eight months. Uh, not a real console, anyway. Um, so, were the consoles then digital, or were you mixing analog, or a little bit of both? No, no. So stu- there were three studios at the time. Uh, now they have five studios, but the the three studios. The first studio was an API twenty four eighty eight. The next one was an SSL four thousand EG, and then a Neve VR sixty, which actually was the one owned by George Lucas back in the 80s and it was the one that mixed all the star wars well the first three uh or whatever and that was the console that's in there so i learned on all three of those consoles and then on top of that studer tape machines uh only 24 track i never got to i think we did one two track machine but it wasn't really they were really showing us how to buy some machines and stuff like that so it was cool i learned all the analog stuff we didn't get into pro tools until after the we learned each of the three desks, um, and then we got into it. But back then, it was Pro Tools 7 I got certified in, I think. Pro a few Tools versions 7 ago. or 6. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, I remember how badly I wanted to become a Pro Tools like master operator, and I was just like, oh, this is so sick. Like, And now, who cares? It doesn't even matter. Like, they don't. I don't even know if they offer that program in the certification courses. Maybe, probably, but like, do you need it? I don't know if you're gonna make if you if you're gonna make some real money with Pro Tools. Yes, I would say get it. But any of these guys that are just in their home studios like me, like I have Pro Tools and Logic and all. Like I have every program, but like I don't use them for anything. But like my, recording myself, I mean, I have eight guitars and all this shit. Like I don't, I I only do the live stuff. Like I have more recording gear than live, but it's really for my own uh, enjoyment. You know. Oh, that's cool. I, I I don't think I'm very good at the recording studio side of it. I can't uh, when I try to do stuff. I can't get the same effect here in this like controlled environment than I can with the like a, a live setting because in a live setting I can turn the fucking two hundred up on the snare and it's like the biggest thing ever. That I do it here and everything's clipping and I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> like, why doesn't it work the same? I feel your pain. Uh, when I started recording these podcasts, I re- I realized, holy cats, this is it reveals way too much. You can't you know get away with anything because it's so clean and so pure. So yeah. my uh, podcast will not be recorded as well as I would like it to be, but it'll serve the purpose. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you're you're at Omega. You're learning on analog gear. Um, yeah. Then what? Uh. Well. 
let's see, uh, once I, I was in a, like, as a side job, this was like, I chose to do the night classes or whatever, so I could go uh, do gigs during the day. So I was working for this company called Event Tech, and they do uh, a bunch of corporate jobs around, uh, around the DC uh, area. And I thought that they would do a lot more concerts, ended up being more corporate, because that's definitely where the money is. Um, I definitely, I did do some exciting shows, but I mean, like, whatever. So, I mean, after that, I just kept working more corporate jobs and whatever. Once I finished, uh, I was working at Guitar Center as well as doing that, uh, for a little while. Uh, I was in pro audio, but then everybody in drums quit, so I went to drums. Um, and then I found a Craigslist ad for this band called Hotspur. And, uh... They were, like, in the Bethesda area, which is, like, where I live. And I, and I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Like, whatever. Turns out I went to, like, high school with the bass player. Well, he was, like, in the grade below me, but, like, whatever. Uh, we didn't know each other. He just, like, we went to the same. Anyway, so I applied. They gave me a call back, and, like, we hung out, instantly clicked. And they're, like, a pop-punk band from, from this area. Um, and I worked for them for about... 2000 end of 2007 to 2010 ish then i did a couple gigs after that but then once i started with periphery in 2010 it was that they were already something else so so was that first uh that that first band that you worked with that was just a regional band around the maryland area yeah they did do some touring uh actually my very first show mixing in front of house was uh, we did this well my very first I wouldn't call it my very first tour my very first tour was something else but I'll get to that in a second my first tour with them was uh, with Metro Station and Hotspur and we were doing Six Flags shows so like the first show was at the Six Flags here in DC and uh, we like you know it was super cool like the show was at 2.30 or something like that we got to ride roller coasters all day for free uh, which was amazing. Um, and then we did a bunch of those. We did Six Flags in Jersey, I believe, and uh, Six Flags in Chicago. Um, but Yeah, I think there's one down in St. Louis area. Um, yeah, I'm trying we didn't to think go of the that far ones. south. We did a bunch of tours, though. I mean, uh, like that were like 10-day tours. We did college tours, a lot of bar tours. I got paid five bucks a day for probably two years oh my goodness i mean it was brutal we were traveling in a ford cobra i don't ah. know they're like those conversion vans or yeah. whatever yeah but I, I mean it was a it was good man it was like a, it was definitely like i was like this is i think what touring was like i didn't expect to be in a bus anytime soon and i definitely didn't uh i did my time in the van for sure yeah uh, i definitely didn't get paid much or any Oh, we were on, sponsored five. by Taco Bell, though. That was cool. That's awesome. Taco yeah. packs for everybody, chalupas. No, they had this program called E to the Beat. They had it for a long time, actually, after that. I tried to get Periphery on it, uh, actually, uh, and we did get it eventually. But they give you, like, $500 in, taco, like, $5 gift cards. So we get, like, a stack or whatever, and just that's how we would get food. And that was, like, my payment. I didn't get cash. They were like, here's $100 in Taco Bell money. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> it was brutal. Yeah, that's, um, uh, that's interesting. No, actually, my, my very, very, very first tour was with this band called Covenants. 
they are uh, a death metal band. Uh, I would say from here they had mem- uh, members of Misery Index and Dying Fetus. Um, uh, and my very first tour was in Canada, and that was, that was in a fucking minivan with gear piled up to this, all my sides. I remember the first night I slept in the minivan seat or whatever, just like upright. Our guitar player sat or slept underneath the van because it was like a hot tour or whatever. So he slept underneath and one dude slept on the top of the roof. And it was like, I mean, that was brutal. After that, I was like, okay, touring is not cool. Yeah, that Cobra van seemed like a a luxurious uh, paradise after that. Yeah, pretty much. But we did do all the crazy antics because... you know, I used to watch all those, like, home videos, like Pantera and, like, all those old school bands. So, like, one of the first nights we stayed in a hotel uh, that we did get a hotel, we, like, you know, we had, we ordered food and we're like, oh, we're going to fucking trash this hotel room. So we started, like, throwing tomatoes and pickles and shit at the glass. Oh, it was so bad. I felt so terrible. We did clean it up the next day, but, I mean, we were all hammered drunk, too, and, like, you know, doing whatever. It was, like... But it was fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely had a good time. Is there uh, footage of any of that, like the uh, documentary series you don't want to mention? Man, there probably is a video of that, but, like, no one had, like, real smartphones back then. Like, uh, God, I can't remember. I had the mo- I had the Razor for the longest time. Uh, I probably do have some footage somewhere of that. Uh, I still have the shirt. Uh, it's called Ravaging Canada was the name of the tour. It's actually pretty uh, bad. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're, no, so you're, uh, you start out really humbly with those tours. Um, and then eventually you get to start working with guys like suicidal tendencies. How do you, how did you make that transition? Man, per- periphery. I have to thank periphery ultimately for, for all of it. Um, the way I started with, with, periphery was actually like misha misha mantor the guitar players uh texted me one day and i guess had seen that i was like you know we were friends on facebook or whatever and he had seen that i was touring he was like oh shit he does sound you know he might maybe he'll come help us and actually uh he had a record release show which was 10 years ago today um uh that i couldn't make they were like hey do you want to come do a record release show it's on 420 10 years ago but i couldn't do it because i was with the other band and i was like fuck that was my opportunity to get like with a big band and i was like real upset about that um and then eventually they get a tour with uh devin townsend and it's like uh three or four shows it was devin townsend headlining uh periphery and tesseract and we did like three shows and he called me uh misha called me and i was just like yes i can fucking do it and like after that it was it was over and like i took over for 10 years basically wow almost 10 years it'll be 10 years in like november or something so you're still mixing with them and and doing things uh, i haven't ronnie uh, uh rj from the uk has actually taken over uh for a little while uh i'm not to say that i will never go back but i will uh he just has been on mixing for Pliny, and i've been out with kill switch and he's just taken over uh when i can't do it so Wow. Um, so Periphery introduces you to Suicidal, and, and what was that touring like? What did, what were you, you were doing front of house for them? Actually, I don't, how did I get... So I was with Periphery, and then I mixed the Faceless. For okay. A while. This is how I got to 
to, uh, to suicidal, at least. Uh, I mixed the Faceless for a minute for On the Summer Slaughter and like a few other tours. And Nico Santora was the guitar player in the band, uh, in the Faceless. And he was, and then he eventually joined Suicidal Tendencies. And he's like, hey, dude, do you want to come mix Suicidal? We need a guy. And our first tour was Suicidal Megadeth. Uh, and Children of Bodom? I forget who else was on that tour. But uh, that was my first tour with Suicidal, was a big arena tour with them, which was so sick. Um, How did you make that adjustment going from, I'm, I'm assuming you mixed fairly big shows with Periphery, but uh, yeah. you know, going into arenas, what, what, did you, uh, what did you find yourself really having to adjust to quickly in, in that moment? The, actually, the first arena tour I did was Dream Theater, or Periphery Supporting Dream Theater in Europe in 2012 and man i had a rough time actually that was my first time on amida's desk because uh, we were sharing uh his pro nine which was awesome and nigel their front of house guy was super nice guy uh, i don't think he's mixing them anymore but uh super nice guy taught me the desk in pretty much a day uh and i was like great fucking sounds great whatever uh some days would be real good but other days man i had I had it rough all the time because our Matt drummer was real loud and like the venue super loud. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I went from like mixing clubs to, or mixing like at the time, 2011 to 12, we were doing like maybe 500 to 800 cap rooms, you know, not real big, like semi controlled, uh, acoustic wise. But, uh, man, once I got into that arena, rooms i had no fucking clue what the hell i was doing i mean i was just like cool i mean it's just like a really big stereo system right like like it sounds it sounded decent but like everything was so obnoxiously loud and there's there's so many reflections everywhere like i don't i didn't know how to control everything and like i didn't know whether to turn it up or down or like i don't i just didn't know you know it just it took some practice some shows that were great but like after we would go on, after we'd go on and we'd watch Dream Theater, they would like sound incredible, and yeah. I'm like, God damn it, how do I do that? <laughs> like, how do I make this arena sound like this every time? What did you find uh, was one of the biggest things to help you get there to to sounding you know like Dream Theater? Better PA. Uh-huh. <laughs> that I think that was uh, also uh, a pretty crucial. We toured with uh, I threes. Claire i3s, yeah. it was a smaller box. Yep. And I don't think it provided the punch that I wanted to feel from like the snare or from the guitars or whatever. So I was always having to fight it. And in, in some rooms that were more controlled, there was definitely, it was fine. It was definitely fine. But uh, even the system engineer on that tour was like, we're, we're pretty much underpowered. We're pretty much hitting almost limit for every, for even for Dream Theater every day. Uh, when we hit the smaller theaters it was it was better for them uh, but again dream theater versus periphery are com- two completely separate beasts in terms of the music yeah you know dream theater has a bit more open parts and stuff like that so yeah um i don't want to go down the gear rabbit hole quite yet but those i3 boxes i believe are 100 and 120 degree boxes so yeah you know you're getting sound everywhere you don't really need it a lot of yeah time. i, I I don't know. I mean, eventually I learned what I liked and what I didn't like. And, um, 
I definitely don't like the i3s, and I've mixed on i3s, the install version, more recently, uh, and I've gotten better mixes out of them, but I just, I maybe back then they had different firmware on the fucking, on the DSP, Clear I.O., yeah. I don't know, man, like, again, I didn't know what I was, I didn't know as much as I do now, like, now I could system engineer a show, and, and I could, like, alright, well, I can look at this trace, and be like, okay, this isn't right, or this isn't like. So when I played music through the PA in the you know in the morning, I would be like, "Cool, this sounds good. Like this sounds like what I think it should sound like." And then eventually, I wasn't using the songs I do now, but eventually, I, I found the right songs and stuff like that. So I was using like "No Doubt," "Hella Good," you know, like everybody uses that song. But I, it doesn't translate for what the what I want the box to sound like. Yeah. Like, I think once I do get it right and then I put Hella Good on again, like afterwards, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's fine. But I don't know how to get from a that point to making it sound good with that song. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when we were on tour together with Nick uh, doing Steel Panther, I, I felt exactly like you did. I would tune, I would play my reference song. I'd be like, well, great, this PA sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Stitched Up Heart would come out. I would hate my mix. I was like, I'm doing everything wrong. This I don't like the sound of it. And then I'd listen to Nick mix Steel Panther, and I'd be like, how come? What, what's going on? Like, did he swap the yeah. BA? <laughs> Damn, dude, Nick, Nick, I haven't actually had a chance to go out and listen to his mixes just because I'm on stage doing right. the show. Uh, but there have been times where I've been able to go out and listen. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is the... I mean, that... Look, if anyone can get a snare drum to sound as fat as anyone, it's him. And especially with the way uh, Sticks tunes the snare, and actually Nick is up there tuning the snare as well, along with Marco, the drum tech. And and but like, God damn it! I wish every oh like live, like in the studio, whole another beast. Like you can have high pitched whatever. I think for a live, it, it should be fucking huge and fat. Yeah, no yeah. ice picks. Like just. Punch yeah, you in the gut, don't stab you in the eye. Yeah. And, yeah. and, like, I get that drummers like that feel of the tight top head and stuff like that, but, man, it just it cut, it cuts so much better when it's big and fat and low-tuned like that. And just, I love it. And, actually, George Hajikuristu, who makes his Parkway Drive, has probably the, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to rate them, but they all have the best-sounding snares I've ever heard in my life. I mean, George has... I don't know three reverbs on his snare. Same with Nick. I'm I'm at two right now, and I guess when I get to the three, I have one that's high pass and one that's low pass, and you kind of blend the two to give you enough bottom end. Because I can turn the the low the uh, low pass one on you know venues that I have enough beef in, yeah, or whatever. But well, when you get to the three reverbs, they'll uh, give you the secret membership key, and you'll be able yeah. to uh, join that club, I guess. I guess the third one is the bomb. Uh, I guess Shelby uh, does one too, uh, and Alex Kendrick. Those guys all have like real big snare bombs <laughs> that are like four seconds long or something crazy, and they sound great. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's just insane. I don't want to talk about Nick too much, but uh, he did indicate that I was talking to him on an earlier podcast, and uh, he said he has a macro where he can just really almost infinitely expand his uh, verb on his snare. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I don't, he's never shown me that one, actually. That's pretty awesome. 
yeah, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. And I took advantage of watching him, you know, every show I'd sit out front of house or sit over by you and listen to your in-ear mixes, which absolutely just destroyed. I, your in-ear mixes were phenomenal, but we'll talk about Thanks, that in a little bit. So, all right, going back to the touring. So you're out with Megadeth and Suicidal doing arenas. Uh, you stay with Suicidal for a number of years. And then were you also working with Killswitch at the same time? Or how did you get involved with Killswitch? So uh, I also worked for this band, Darkest Hour, who's from D.C. And uh, we went out on tour with Killswitch, actually supporting Killswitch with uh, Miss May I? I forget who else was on that. Anyway, Miss May I, Darkest Hour, and I met Luke, this guy Luke Buckby, who does sound, who did sound for Killswitch uh, for forever, and like we we became friends instantaneously, and um, those guys are so fucking awesome. And uh, we did another tour later with Periphery supporting Killswitch, so I meet Luke again, we hang out, whatever. Uh, 2016 was. I was still working for Suicidal and Periphery pretty pretty regularly. But 2016, Luke was like, hey man, I can't do this show. It was Chicago Open Air uh, for Killswitch. And I, and I was already going to be there the two days before with Periphery. Uh, so he was like, do you want to do this show? It's like a 40-minute set. I was like, absolutely. Like This is my dream to mix Killswitch. Like, even when I started touring, I was like, I want to mix... Kill Switch Engage or Chimera, like some of my favorite bands, and um, I got to mix that one day, and I didn't think like I was gonna do anything else. So I was like, I fucking thanked Luke, or like hugged him. I was like, dude, thank you. That was like the greatest forty minutes ever, you know, just to like know every song and like have me mixing it. And then um, I guess two thousand eighteen. Uh, Luke was like, hey man, do you want to come do monitors and guitar tech? And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care what I'm doing. Like, absolutely. So I was actually, I did one tour with Anthrax. It was a Kill Switch Engage Anthrax. And uh, I was doing monitors and guitar tech. And um, after that, Luke uh, was hired to do like, I don't know, 300 shows with Frank Turner. Uh, well, you know, like a big long yearly thing whatever and he was like do you want to take over in front of house and i was like absolutely and he actually wanted me to see if i wanted to like stay at monitors guitar because i did like it and it was it was different because i got to play guitar every day it was cool um but i was like no i like i belong at front of house yeah that's uh, cool i i like the creative part of it like with with monitors it's like you can only be so creative before it's not before it's like the, it's the band telling you what they want you know? yeah it's not you right like ultimately so i can't be as creative uh, but i was like fuck no i want to be at front of house like that's where i want to be yeah so. there's something rewarding about being at front of house even even when you're not good at it like me uh it's still <laughs> <laughs> it's still an awesome creative outlet and the reward that you get from you know having it sound good and seeing the crowd react when you do something is they might not know you're doing it, but it. I really enjoy that, so I, yeah. I totally hear what you're saying. For sure. So when you inherited the job from Killswitch for that uh, Chicago Open Air, were you using Luke's file, or how did you go about uh, doing that one-off he, with them? No, he sent me a file, but uh, they were using a profile for the house rig, 
uh, and uh, I was just like, I know that desk really well, so I was just like, I'll build my own file, it's totally fine. He was just like, yeah, whatever, he doesn't care, he's very nonchalant, I love you, Luke. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so I built my own file, and um, I just went from there. I used some uh, periphery settings, like, you know, kick, and mostly on the drums. I left the guitars and uh, mostly flat, uh, but I used all the settings I used for Matt, uh, for Justin, uh, for drums or whatever, and I, I was pretty close. And it was because you know, with a five-minute line check, going playing to five, six thousand people outside, it's like you know, I got to be quick. So I got pretty close, and by the third song, I was pretty happy. Uh, I eventually posted one song, and uh, I've watched it since then. I'm still real stoked on how that turned out. Also, outdoor festivals in the heat sound fantastic every time. I don't think I've been doing... I've mixed an outdoor show that was uh, hot that sounded bad. Like, I I can't remember. The atmosphere is your friend at times. Oh, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Cold shows, yes. They're all fucking terrible. (laughs) Uh, What's that one in Dallas? Uh, South by So What? It was like in March or something. And we thought it was going to be warm, but it was like goddamn 30 degrees outside and there's like an outdoor show and oh, it was the worst well, i was mixing ba- animals on that but it's bad because you you know the system engineer makes all of his calculations based on temperature and humidity and then if it changes yeah, of course you're screwed you know, so yeah, yeah. you do what you i mean do. when you when you open up these programs like uh like r1 and, and any of these programs to system engineer the stock calculation is like 75 degrees 75 percent humidity or whatever or 50 percent that's just like the stock you know so it makes all your calculations on that yeah and like again i haven't had a good outdoor show like a good sounding outdoor show that's been cold it's always the hot ones and uh probably not gonna have any of those this year but whatever well, I don't know. Fingers crossed, man, that we can get out there, you know, end of the summer and, and make something happen. happen something. But, you know. I think if anything, we're going to have maybe club shows, but it's going to be against people's, some people's wishes. I don't know. It'll, I don't want to make, make this a medical discussion, but, or a, a psychological, sociological, well, I can't talk today. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, once they open it up, how many people will still sort of be cautious. And I wonder if attendance will be down in general. Maybe. Or will people be... Maybe in the beginning. I don't yeah. know. I think eventually we'll, it will get back to normal. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll get it all back to normal at some point. Yeah. But. So I want to take a step backwards. Um, I, I'm sorry to ping pong back and forth here, but... No, you're uh, fine. So when you're, when you're doing front of house for Suicidal and they, they deem you as their guy... How did you go about planning for your tours? Uh, were you specking out gear? Were you using house gear? Um, well, I'm guessing it, arenas and stuff. You traveled with something... Um, it was mostly no, it was no arenas, uh, and there's actually like three guys that we had mixing suicidal. So like I wasn't like the guy, but okay. like I did like the stuff on the East Coast. They had like a dude in uh, L.A. or or I don't remember somewhere on the West Coast, and then there's a guy in Europe. So I've never done any European shows with them. Uh, I did a South American tour and uh, a couple U.S. tours, but most of them were all supports. And the only headliners, it was just house gear. Uh, they didn't want to rent anything, keep the budget low. So, I mean, most of the time we played uh, 1,200 to 2,000 cap rooms, and they all have nice gear, you know. Yeah. Uh, I never rented anything, except on that Megadeth tour, they asked if I wanted what I wanted to use, and there was the option of Digico or Pro One. 
and uh, the Pro One was obviously the cheaper choice. <laughs> so, so you mixed on um, Pro One. Yeah, yeah. Pro One for that tour. It was owned by the guy that was mixing Havoc. I can't remember his name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Havoc was on that tour. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, what about for like um, Kill Switch? What? How do you go about handling equipment needs for that? Uh, they, well, Luke had a Midas package for a long time, and they had a good deal with this company in JDI in Rhode Island, and, uh, we would sub-rent audio gear through them, and then they eventually bought a package, which they consulted me on, which is cool, so I'd be like, you should buy this, and this, and then have some of this stuff, and then, uh... What was some of this and this? Oh, I mean, it was just saying, be like, here, buy the Pro One. Okay. Uh, buy a deal... DL 231, which is the Stage 24 box. channel yeah. uh, splitter, and then be like, well, we need a 4 channel Cat 5 Snake uh, and, you know, a couple CPC boxes and panels and stuff like that. Yeah, cool. Um, cool. Other than that, I was just like, I want a UPS in front of, you know, standard shit. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need the board going down uh, right in the middle of the show. Nope, but it was cool. They it was uh, it's they really only use it for us uh, and stuff like that. So I think it's been on a couple of corporate sub corporate things. But they're a lighting company mainly. Uh, but they wanted to expand into audio, and obviously they wanted uh, JDI to be the one stop shop for Killswitch. So we rent all of the lighting gear that comes from them, and actually all of the Killswitch touring ge- equipment is stored at their warehouse. And I actually got to see that for the first time. At the end of this last tour, when we were, we were in Pittsburgh, when we got the you know call from our management, being like, "All right, the the tour's canceled." We're like, "Fuck!" So we drive up to Rhode Island, and I actually, you know, being the fanboy that I am, got to see all this super old gear from shows that I went to, like in 2006, and I was like, "This is this is from the tour that we had the video screens on." And, and Josh, our production manager, would show me and be like, "Damn, that's so sick." And there's tons of old gear and like old logo or uh, old like banners and all kinds of stuff that I got to see, and that was like super cool. It was a somber like, you know, deep prep of all the gear, but I was like pretty happy inside. <laughs> I was like, this is so sick. You're selfishly enjoying it for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one knew. Everybody was like all sad because you know we're all like going home for God knows how long. Yeah. Well, we all thought it was going to be like a month. You know, we were all prepping. We actually prepped the gear for Australia for our Australian tour, which was supposed to be May. Uh, sorry, April twenty eighth was when we were leaving. Um, so we actually prepped all that gear, had it all ready to go. People went home with it and stuff. We're like, all right, we're leaving. Whatever, April twenty eighth. Yeah, Mother Nature had other plans for us. Yeah. Okay, so um. Like I like I mentioned earlier, uh, I met up with you on the Steel Panther tour. How did you get involved with Steel Panther? Uh, Ashton Parsons. So Ashton is a really, really good friend of mine that I met in uh, 2010, 2011. He was working for the Human Abstract. Uh, I don't know if you remember that band, but it was a long time ago. Uh, and we became pretty much best friends, and he's been my best friend ever since. And he started working for lots of bands. Uh, Black Label Society, uh, Fifth Harmony, and uh, eventually did some gigs for Steel Panther. And one day he called me and he's like, hey, I'm going out with Disturbed. 
do you want to do some of these Seal Panther gigs? Like, it's real sick money. It's real good pay. Um, they treat you really well. It's like, absolutely. Yeah, I already love Steel Panther as a band, you know. Super funny and awesome music. And I was like, absolutely. So their drummer called me and I was in from there. And then after that, I mean, Nick has been always at front of house. But they've had different monitor guys over the over the years just because they tour so frequently, but, like, not for very long. They do, like, actually this last European tour we did in January was the longest tour they've done in quite some time uh usually they're doing 10 day tours or you know something like that uh so and they know that guys move around all the time so they don't mind having a couple guys so uh there was like two or three or four guys that we were all switching up passing around the same show file my my show file i inherited from ashton which sounds great but i made it better um (laughs) more reverbs Um, on the snare yeah, no, I mean, I, I didn't really change much from Ashton's file except where where things were. I mean, other than that, the, everything was about the same. So You were mixing all that on an SD-11 from Digico. How do, yep. What's your, uh, do you have a good relationship with the Digico boards? Uh, well, actually, the when it, we started, it was SD-9, and I actually like that one better. Uh, you know, to tell you the truth, in the beginning, I, when I was like, mixing on different consoles and different venues. I hated Digico. I, I didn't think I could get the sound out of it that I really wanted. Like, I was just like, I'm doing this to the EQ and this, but like, you know, on, on a Midas, the, I guess the range is different or whatever. Like, so visually, I was also visually mixing, which is, you know, I hated doing that. Um, I even rented a Digico uh, for one periphery tour. Uh, and it was an S21, not the SD, but it was an S21, the lower grade version. Uh, and it still, it sounded pretty good. I liked the way the drums sound, but like, again, all the EQs look super whack. And I was like, I must be doing something wrong for me to be doing something this drastic, right? So eventually, like halfway through the tour, I was super unhappy. Um, I ended up using only, like I erased everything and I used only waves, and I used only EQs that didn't have a visual thing on it. I used, like, all API 550Bs. Like, that's all I used to EQ things. I was like, I don't want to see the EQ anymore. I'm like, it's driving me insane. And actually, the guy, it was a co-headliner with uh, Animals as Leaders, and this guy, Ronnie, uh, who was mixing Periphery now, was mixing Animals and was crushing me on the mixes. I mean, it was just like... The mixes sounded insane, and I was like, "Why can I get the same sound? Like, I don't understand." And he was just like, "Well, I've worked on Digico for a long time in the UK and stuff like that." And I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, I wish I had more experience with Digico, and now I do. Once I got on the SD9, I got to really like play with it. And there's also there's all different modes and different things that I never really found until later." And uh, I'd, I'd be willing to try again to take a Digico with with Periphery, um, uh, even with Kill Switch. I'd, I'd be very interested to try it again. That's uh, cool. Now that I know how I can maybe get it, you know, I don't. Maybe I'll hate it again. I don't know. Why torture I, yourself? Stick with what you know, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I just, reliability is a huge thing and like i feel like nothing is even reliable anymore i love the avid sxl but that everybody has problems with it 
I had problems with the stage rack on one tour. Uh, Digico seemed to be the most reliable I, that I've seen. Like, I turn it on and it works. Like, I don't... Uh, again, but, like, you know, we all read the forums. Everybody has problems with everything. Everything is, everything is a computer. Everything fails. Yeah. <laughs> so, I honestly, like, I, I don't... At this point, I don't even care anymore. I just want something that is going to turn on and produce sound. No matter what. I've got like, an old... I, I've got a Mac E1608 sitting around somewhere I could probably give you. Yeah, that'll at least work. I used to have one, too. as my little, like, drum mixer for forever. Um, I think everybody had one of those at some point. Yeah, of course. <laughs> God, it's just, like, yeah, consoles, uh, they fucking annoy me. Like, and, like, uh, and obviously budgets and, like, all those things. You know, everybody has a budget and have to fight for one. It's, I, I, like, I think now I can, I feel like I can get anything to produce the sound that I need it to do, like, from any desk or whatever. It won't be, like, the perfect thing or whatever, but, like, honestly, like, I'm looking for reliability more than anything, because once you start becoming in these bigger shows, like, I'm just, like, always nervous. And, like, there was, like, one day we got a, a console from a manufacturer or from a rental company, and I took it to front of house and had it flipped, and I turned it on, and the screen was just black. And I was just like, "What? What? <laughs> like, it, like I don't like, I I don't, and I didn't understand. And I just I was like, cool. And then I had the house guy set up, set me a page because I was already doing something. I was like, here's my input list. Just, I don't care. Just do it. Put it all flat. I don't care. Your shit works right now. Mine doesn't. Eventually, it turned on and it worked uh, after like five restarts. But like, I, I just wish I knew." why any of this happens like I, this is the not any different i toured with this console last year it's my show is still loaded you know like why do these does this shit even happen like i just i want a console that's completely reliable and i know that's uh asking for too much honestly and like I know the Avid guys will argue and the Midas guys will argue and the Digico guys will argue. We'll all argue with each other. It doesn't matter. They're all not reliable. Yeah, I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was on the podcast, but they were saying, you know, Ford, Chevy, Dodge, they all make great trucks. uh, And that's essentially what the consoles are. You know, it's just the the guys are, you know... uh, uh, loyal to their brand and they like yeah. that brand and they're willing to deal with whatever you know hiccups that there may be but yeah it's a uh, let's go ahead and start another business we'll call it reliable consoles and we'll just make <laughs> yeah <laughs> it seems to me that the i guess the alan heath uh d live stuff has been pretty reliable and i've talked to a few guys and they're like you know one guy that bought a bought the stage rack which is like the brain i guess yep um and then they rented the surface everywhere but he was like dude we went to 20 different surfaces all over the world it was always sick all the time and like i want that and i haven't had a chance i've mixed on one d live one time in chile like four years ago or three years ago that was right when they first came out yeah yeah like it was it was this i was just like cool i mean it sounded good i was not in a good venue the recording sounded cool. I like got a little like two track or whatever, uh, but I didn't like how it functioned. 
but again one day on one console like you know i have to like sit down and like, yeah. play with it yep i have to like get my own problems i have to make it do stuff to understand it um so again i would love to try it again uh well, come yeah. on out anytime. I, I have the DLive uh, system. I purchased it earlier, or last year, I guess. Um, I love it, and I'm knocking on wood right now. Um, it's been super reliable, uh, no yeah. issues, so hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, I would like a hybrid desk. I would. I want, like, a Avid S6L Surface. I know everybody hates that Surface, but I kind of like it. It looks cool. It's easy. The automation is amazing um, with, like, a hybrid of, like, Midas, Avid, and, like, Neve preamps. <laughs> like, that's... I want that. If I can make that all work, or maybe the, even the Yamaha, the, the newer uh, Rivage, Rivage, PM7. Yeah. Um, I would love that test, too. I got to I mean, the Yamaha has, has been fantastic. We use Yamaha for corporate stuff all the time. CL5, QL5s. QL1s, whatever, and uh, PM7 and the PM10 are rock solid. Uh, Dante is a little iffy, but everything else is rock solid about that. So I, I, I would go that route, but again, those consoles are insanely expensive. I got to play around on a PM10 when I was out at Claire Global uh, a couple of years Dude, ago. they're sick, right? Yeah, they're insane. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mixed on one one time in... Uh, the Mohegan Sun, we did, Killswitch did, like, a thing there, uh, and they had one at the Mohegan Sun, and I was like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, have Neve Silk on every single channel. It's like, oh, this man. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we could, I could do a whole podcast on how awesome that is, but we'll, uh, we'll stick to the subject at hand here. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, all good. Yeah. So, um... I mentioned, you know, you were super gracious on the Panther tour. You let me stand next to you and bother you and ask you questions, and you'd flip on the wedge so I could hear what you were mixing, and you'd give me a, a spare in-ear pack, and I'd listen. How did you get your, I mean, like I was listening to Michael Starr's in-ear mix, and it was unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. How did you, uh, walk us through, like, setting up that mix for him and, you know, Take us through some of your gain stage, uh, any tricks you're doing with EQ, <clears throat> high pass, low pass. Uh, how do you approach, you know, I, I I realize you did inherit the file from Ashton a little bit, but you also yeah, made yeah. it your own. So take us through yeah. that process. Well, Michael's, Michael's mix is like the, uh, it's basically like a left-right mix. So it's like everything is super balanced in his, in his uh, wedges. His vocal's a little bit on top. You know, obviously, uh, and then I got reverb and uh, the audience, and he loves like the audience during the parts where he sings or like the crowd sings, and you know, Steel Panther they're doing that all the time, and he'll do it randomly. The show's not the same every night, so like it keeps me busy. So I like got to sit there. I'd always have to watch him turn it up or whatever, uh, and then like when he'd be talking to the show, he'd want the reverb down, you know, like ten dB or whatever and like I, in the beginning when i first started with them i was like cutting the reverb out to to zero uh, or to infinity um just because he didn't i don't know but it sounded weird so i started doing that to minus 10 minus 15 and he liked that a lot better um but other than that i mean i i love being able to do that in his mix and then i i did that for everybody now so every i have 
the audience fader on or just one fader for everybody's mix. I can just go in and out. So anytime I'm doing anything for Michael Starr, it's doing it for everybody, which is cool. Um, tricks, man, I don't, I don't know. Uh, he likes his voice pretty bright, uh, probably a little brighter than what I like. But uh, I have the the JH Audio Layla's, and they're actually pretty dark, considering. I mean, I know they're pretty flat, but they're pretty dark considering. So when I turn it up the high end, I'm like, you must be getting crushed right now. And um, do you remember what they were using for uh, in ears? What brand of manufacturer? Uh, man, I think they're using uh, Ultimate Ears. Most of them. Okay. I think one. Uh, I think Darren has the drummer has uh, JH Audio, but I think everyone else has Ultimate Ears because uh, their old tour manager was uh, Ultimate Ears dealer. Gotcha. Yeah, dear. Um, just I was. I think I was listening on my Sure eight forty sixes, and it was just so natural sounding. His, you're right. His vocal was a little more on top yeah. and bright. Yeah, yeah. But it just sounded great, and you had really awesome um, spatial, you know, separation in the mix, which yeah. I was really. I don't know if that was the ambient mics that brought more of that in, or or what was. What yeah. Was so that? the the Digico has this cool like widener feature. So like uh, on the well on the guitars this I got I got this from Ashton we have like it's just a mono guitar but so we have left right coming out of it and I delay one side twenty three milliseconds or twenty four or whatever it is <clears throat> so you get that like fake stereo effect so it's like the guitars are over here huh. um, and then the audience mics once they're left right obviously hard panned but there's like a little widener feature on the Digico where I guess it just uses some phasing or comb filtering to just push it out a little further. Yeah. And it's and in the ears it sounds great. It was almost uh, three dimensional. Like it was yeah, yeah. it was really I crazy. Would, speaking of three D, I would love to try that clang system. I know that a bunch of the uh, uh, top end artists use that and it seems real cool. They actually hit me up a long time ago um, to see if I wanted to get periphery on it, but I was just like Dude, I have, I don't I don't know. But this is like a lot of hardware and like, uh, you know, I, I, at the time it wasn't like high on the priority viable, list. Yeah. yeah, it was a viable option for the band to do. So I was like, ah, thanks, but I think yeah. we're okay right now. More stuff and than it that was, work. It was still an untested thing. You know, we were that was like in the beginning of stages of Clang, but but now I mean, like everybody's a bunch of big artists are using it and. Uh, I'd love to try it now. Yeah, a lot of the forums are a buzz with Clang. Uh, so mm. I've I've not worked with it. I don't know anybody who's used it, but I know of it, and it sounds pretty spectacular. Yeah. yeah. 3D hearing. That sounds cool. Yeah. Binaural. Actually, I just got a plug-in for Pro Tools. It's like binaural um, widener. So you can put it on, like, any, you know, if you have, like, a you're recording like audio from a video camera that's stereo or whatever you can use that feature and it'll be like binaural or whatever but i've tried it on like songs and shit it's pretty cool <laughs> it's pretty fun to play with that's awesome when you're mixing front of house are you uh are you a groups guy or how do you like to lay out your front of house console group i'm i'm, I'm all vcas all v- so, oh, midas yeah 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 or yeah just I mean, I guess groups same. Yeah. Uh, I well, I use groups to to group the kick, so I'll do the two kicks together as one group. Another, so I can compress that one. Right. You know, or whatever. 
Same with the snare. Like, I'll mix... I stole that trick from Nolly from Periphery. Uh, snare top and bottom. I usually mix them first, uh, EQ-wise and, and level-wise, and then I'll compress it on the back end on the group, so it's just one compressor for both. I used to do two separate ones for Periphery because he plays so many ghost notes all the time that I wanted the snare bottom to be more prominent always, so I would have the compressor settings different for that. But I found that I like it just on one group instead. Yeah. Uh, the toms I also do as a group, stereo group, so I can compress that. Um, and then all that I sent to... I have eight main VCAs that I use. This drums is the... I don't... I, I like... I, I had it split out before, but then I ended up never using it. The kick snare hat, or the you know, on one, and then toms on another, and whatever. I just do drums on one fader, bass, guitar left and right, depending on the band. If it's periphery, there's three, or there's still two faders. So I use outside guitars and inside. So, uh, so guitar left and right, um, tracks if there's any, uh, background vocals, main vocal, and then main effects and then delay throw. So I can just throw single words uh, for the singer. And then the effects, so I can mute in between. I never got used to... I guess I could get rid of the effects one and then move that to a mute button, but like I just like it there. Yeah, it gives you a little more control. You can make it warmer yeah. or drier. Or, you know, yeah. yeah. I, f I feel like if I had a, a, a ninth and a tenth VCA, which I guess are on other consoles that have... Uh, more faders uh, that would be cool I would like that <laughs> an extra two I, I never understood why it was uh, I guess that's part of the theory I probably did learn it at some point why there's eight why everything's in multiples of eight and not ten or something you know yeah I think it has something to do with uh, hexadecimal and computer code and eight bit processing and all that good stuff is my guess see i we probably learned that a, a long time ago. I don't know. But now we're going to find out. I'm purely why. guessing. Somebody's going to correct me. Yeah. Somebody tell me. Please text me the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Come over to the DLive world. You can have, uh, I think, uh, 32 different mix groups or 64. The the number escapes Plus. me. I'm trying to look at my uh, my setting right now, but I, I don't want to lose track of what I'm doing, so I won't yeah. study it too much. Oh, no. All good. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll I'll probably never stray from the eight again, like ever. Just just if I like, unless I need to, um, and that's just for music. I mean, my corporate setup is completely different. Yeah, it's it's not even the same in the same ballpark as the music as the music ones. But yeah, I like the eight. It feels familiar. So it's it's comfortable. It's warm. <clears throat> it's inviting. Yep. Yeah. Um. So when I talked to you on the tour, we spent you know a fair amount of time together, and I think you had commented last year, this was like in December, you'd been on the road uh, like 280 days or 300 days in 2019. Yeah. Is that pretty typical of your touring schedule? No. Uh, well, like also, like 25 of those days was spent um, on vacation, but like I was in Europe, so I like never left. So, I mean, that was like 280 away from home. 200 and probably 50 it was like on tour. Wow. 
but no, lot. I mean that was that was unusually high. All the tours like seemed to have lined up like after. So we did like I did like a Killswitch tour, and there was like three days off, and then I would do a Seal Panther tour, three days off, back to Killswitch, three days off, and did a suicidal thing for ten days. So everything seemed to have lined up. So I was just like constantly moving. Um, did back your passport different... burn up yeah. along the ways? <laughs> like, yeah, thing had to be on fire. Yeah, and then we go back to Europe, and then back to here, and back to there. So, like, it all just seemed to line up last year. That was the probably the most shows I've done in one single year, for sure. Oh, and it was pretty crazy. Actually, there was one other time, 2015, um, where I did that. I kind of just, I was having, like, a bad mental thing, and, like, I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to go on the road for a year. And, you know, that was definitely a bad choice. I, like, was real sad. Because I was just, like, getting more sad as the, the, the time went on. Um, and I was just like, man, this sucks. And, like, what ended up uh, making it all better was, like, finally going home and be like, now I'm going to stay home for three months. Ended up staying home for three months and, like, just working corporate and being with friends. And that was cool. Recharge the batteries a little bit. and Yeah. Yeah. So now, uh, now things have been different. Now I, like, even on tour now I have to, like, have my quiet time, like, at some point, I just got to go lay in my bunk and, like, even if it's just to chill, like, I'm not even napping or just, like, even just lay down and, like, do nothing or listen to music or whatever, uh, you know, get off the phone and stuff like that. Like, I remember I would look at, you know, fucking iPhone has that stupid screen time thing, and it's just, like, I remember some tours, it was, like, nine hours of screen time, and I was like, Jesus Christ, like, what am I doing? I'm not even, I don't even remember being on the phone for that long. You think about nine hours is like all day, literally. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, so I tried to tone it down. I ended up getting it to like seven hours, and then finally I got it to like five, and I was like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of it's also, I wish I could exclude a few things like Netflix or YouTube. Yeah. Like, just social... So I started looking at, like, the inside of, like, social networking and, like... Yeah. You know, be, like, Facebook and Messenger and, like, WhatsApp and be like, all right, I'm talking for still far too long. You know, I need to be off the phone and, like, not here. Yeah. Um, we're, we're just at a little bit over an hour here of talking and it has just flown by. I want to ask a couple of uh, quick final questions. Um, take us through a day in your life when you're on tour with somebody like uh, like Killswitch uh, or Panther or whoever, whatever's most familiar to you. Um, you know, the show ends, the, it's, it's Friday night, the show ends, you're loaded out, you hop on the bus, take us from there. I'll hop on the bus and uh, get in my bed. <laughs> uh, first, I mean, to, besides just like hanging out with the guys uh, when we're moving and stuff, uh, I get in bed and watch YouTube. I'm a huge YouTube fanatic of all super science shows, infographic shows. I like to learn all the time. I don't even care what it is. Uh, I'm recently into this new guy, the lockpicking lawyer. This guy's amazing. If you ever get a chance, you should start watching him. I'm taking a note. Um, lockpicking lawyer. I mean, he's he literally just picks locks all the time, and he's just like, here's this amazing super high security lock that is uh, terrible. <laughs> it's real funny. I can't really explain how good it is but it's anyway it's real good um and after that so fall asleep i'm real i'm usually uh sleeping real well at night on the bus like when the bus is moving like 
you when I was younger, I would like fall asleep to the washing machine and shit. Like, um, so, uh, and then in the morning, I usually get up, brush teeth, get some coffee, and head straight out, like straight to load in. Um, if, like, I seem to wake up earlier, we like to usually, like, go get coffee and stuff. We all like to find the nicest coffee shop. And this is, like, with with periphery mostly, like, where we have a breakfast crew. Everybody's early risers and stuff. So, um, which is awesome. Uh, but there are some days where I want to go get coffee, but load in's in five minutes, so can't really go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, other than that, first thing we do to do is uh, unload the trailer get the gear in the room and uh i usually set up my send my stuff to front of house after all the gears inside and i'll flip my desk turn everything on and go from there usually i like to wait to do anything on the stage until like all the other crew have set up their worlds because i used to like be up there with them like initially and i would just get in everybody's way and i'm just like where can i plug this in and then like i would be like okay here's the xlr cable for the guitar can you plug it in when you open the rack and then, like, he would forget, obviously, and then I would forget. And then, like, and then I'd be up in front of house waiting for it and be like, why isn't it working? Like, obviously, it's not plugged in. So uh, I'd like to do everything at once now, which is nice. So um, I'll wire the front of house first, run the snake. I'll do all the CPC boxes, all the multi-pin boxes, and then wire up everybody's shit after that. And then after that, I'll go out to front of house, do my uh, song that I like to test the rig with. I have two or three songs now that I use. What are those songs right now? Um, There's a a song called uh, Sundance Kid by the band Kent. Um, What else do I use? I'm going to have to look it up. (laughs) I put you on the spot, sorry. No, I I just can't remember the name. I have them in order on my Spotify. (laughs) There's that cool playlist now that uh, that they did for like all of us. Uh, there's like a bunch of sound guys that are using it. Oh, like a reference playlist on Spotify. Or yeah, it's yeah. like a million. I don't know. It's like 800 songs. Wow. All right, so it's Godwacker by Steely Dan uh, and uh, Milo by Acoustic Alchemy, and um, those three I think I can get probably my favorite sounding. Uh, room with like i use sundance kid for all the snare because there's this, right in the beginning of the song there's this amazing snare and that's huge and uh i can really dial in how much low end i want or like you know low mid-range i want in the pa uh god is real for like the how tight the whole rig is in general and acoustic alchemy is more like just an overall final I don't really need it for anything, but I kind of like the way it sounds, and I like I love the song. Yeah, I mean, shit, I'm looking at this playlist right now. It has three hours of music, but a lot of these songs I like have collected from you know friends over the years, and so I like Nick's song on here. Yeah, um, Donald Fagan, I think Nick yeah. uses. Yeah, 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 Fagan. Yeah, I have a bunch of Fagan on here, which is great. Um, I love that song. I love a lot of these songs actually, and, I've, and even with the any of these soundcheck playlists I've stolen from everybody else, I've found a lot of like artists that I like really like, even just to listen to, and they also sonically sound amazing. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, I've I actually hate listening to music that sounds bad. <laughs> like, it sucks because I love. There's some like black metal that I love, 
but the recordings are so bad that I just cannot listen to it. I don't want to. I don't want to hear this fucking terrible recording. I just. I want it to be sick. Why can't it all just sound really good? Oh uh, you know, yeah. And that's intentional or whatever. But and same with country. Like I don't hate country, but goddamn, those recordings are incredible. You know. Yeah. I, there, don't get me wrong. There are some country songs I like. Um, I'm not going to name them because I have no idea what they are, but they sound fantastic. You know. We'll save that for part two. Um, I'll yeah. call you back and and we'll talk all about that. <laughs> country. Yeah. A country podcast. All right, let's wind this down here. Um, so one of my favorite things to do when I'm not on tour is follow your Instagram feed. Um, you're a heck of a foodie, man. Uh, I saw your feast from over the weekend. Um, I think <laughs> oh, you've the got... lamb. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. What got you into cooking? Uh, man, it's uh, it's been in my family for forever. My uh, my grandmother was a fantastic cook, and uh, my grandfather owned a. Uh, a cow farm in uh, Uruguay so um, and was selling milk and, and butter and like dairy products so he wasn't selling um, meat products but he was selling the dairy products so uh, after that my cousin started getting really into cooking and stuff like that and uh, I remember him watching like TV shows with like we were together when, we were, when I was super young and now he owns a huge catering business and has like five restaurants or whatever. And he has one in Peru that he just opened now. Um, and uh, he had a huge catering business that even catered the Rolling Stones in Uruguay. Wow. That's pretty yeah, cool. So, yeah. So like the Rolling Stones came down, they, they would also cater movie sets. They did a movie with Hugh Jackman. I don't remember what movie it was, but there's I have pictures of my cousins and everything. Um, super awesome. So it just like runs in my family and it's everywhere. And, uh, and obviously everyone in my Greek side of my family loves cooking as well. Uh, yeah. None of them are actual chefs, but they all are fantastic. And I love all of the food there. So cool. I try to just replicate all the flavors that I like love from both those countries. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, let's wind this down here. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to talk to me and talk to everybody hey, about, man. we got oh. all the time in the world I'll do this again this <laughs> right. is so fun we'll turn this into like a seven hour uh marathon and we'll just uh talk until we can't talk well anymore. speaking of pooch pooch has been doing that with uh god i can't remember his name but he's been doing it with his chris yeah chris and yeah. Been, they've been doing it like every day or yeah. whatever <laughs> it's been awesome to watch them man Hi, pooch. it's uh yeah he's gonna he he is on the series as well i'm i'm really lucky to uh yeah man he is such an awesome guy i got to spend basically the entire summer with him um, with when we toured with Iron Maiden, and it was goddamn, that guy is so awesome. Fantastic engineer, and a wealth of knowledge, and like, you know, it was awesome to even, if I would ask him anything, he'd be willing to talk about it. He had no holds barred, no secrets. He just, he doesn't care, man. He's just like, he's a fucking awesome all-around guy, and you're gonna have a wonderful time talking to him. Yeah, he's, uh, he's demonstrated that, just like you said, with his YouTube videos, and Everything that yeah. he's doing to try and educate other people, um, you'd yep. be foolish to not be watching and taking advantage of all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a real real smart guy. Yeah, well, give us a. Do you want to share anything that you're doing? Where can people find you? Um, I know you've got your Instagram. You've got a couple of other things going on. Where can uh, people check out Alex and keep tabs on you? Shit, I, I guess my Instagram is my most uh, um, 
up to date. Uh, don't follow my Twitter because it's all like real bad, sad things. So I don't have I don't uh, Facebook, whatever. I mean, but now nah, Instagram's like the best. I, I'm I'm on there the most. I like pictures and I follow a lot of cooking. I have opened a new uh, food page to kind of separate the food from the uh, the my like other Instagram just because people were it's too much food and vegans and whatever so whatever so now i have another one i can express all my food on that said i'm actually going to start uh doing you ever seen those tasty videos that they do like 30 seconds it's a company called tasty or whatever I, I don't know uh where they do like 30 second videos of like how to like uh like how to cook something basically and I like one. Well, I'm gonna start trying that. I'm not very good at video skills, or like I don't even think I'm that great at cooking. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> cool. Do you want to share uh, those two feeds that you uh, are doing for people to follow? Yeah. This. Well, my Instagram is D A R K I D E S. My last name with a D. Uh, and then the other one is at Tour Foodies. Yeah, so. Tour Foodies is one. Uh, I started following that uh, maybe six months ago. Yeah. And it's, uh, I thought it was cool. Like, there, there's another one as well, Eats on Tour, who uh, is run by uh, Gabe Crisp from Whitechapel. Um, and I love it. It's like, me, me and actually Mark from Periphery wanted to come up with, like, a database of of food places that we all loved, you know? And I was like, well, I don't, like, I just want to be like, this is the place you should go. You should go, I don't want, I don't want to give you five options. You're like, this is good. You can make your own decision after that. Like, we're all adults. We all have phones. You can find your own food. But, like, this is a hidden gem, and it's fantastic. That'd be cool. We'll do that. We'll do the uh, reliable console. And uh, yeah, I can't remember the the, the hybrid of uh, the, all of the things yeah, that you the wanted. Hybrid. Yeah. I wanted to do a hybrid, but none, none of the network languages talk to each other. It's so stupid. It's all in one cable. Same cable. <laughs> different language. Someday, man. Someday it'll all get there. All of you. Come up with the same language, please, <laughs> so y'all can talk to each other. Yeah, if there's anybody listening that can uh, make Alex's plea come true, um, yeah. you'd make him very happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, man. Give me a, a reliable console that's cheap. There you go. <laughs> never going to happen. It's fine. Maybe. We'll, we won't say never. Hey, it keeps us uh, on our toes all the time. So true. I'm always like, I don't know if this is going to break down or I'm going to lose audio. It's like on actually it happened with Killswitch. Uh, the um, uh, we were in Europe and uh, my meters froze on my desk, and I was like, "Okay," didn't know what was happening, uh, and I just like stood back and I took a sip of beer and I was like, "All right," and then audio dropped for like a second, which felt like an eternity, and then it all came back and then uh, and then it was fine, but like. I was like, and then we were playing Brixton Academy the next day, 5,000 cap, you know, sold out. And I was just like, I can't have this happen tomorrow. Like, cannot. Did you um, sacrifice something to the gods to make them happy or it ended up working I out? I ended up updating that morning. Firmware uh, or something? or Yeah, update. Yeah. apparently all the firmware was different on all, th- all three of my pieces of gear. Oh man! So the stage rack, the I had a stage rack in front of house as well for like extra I/O, and um, the desk. All three of them were all different firmwares, and luckily the house uh, audio guy from Brixton was like very well versed in Midas updating, which I hadn't. I've done maybe 
twice in my life. And I was just like, okay, let's... And then he did it with me, so... And then I was just like, don't turn anything off. Everything was fine. Didn't happen again. My meters did freeze one more time later on in the tour for a split second, but then it was fine. It, audio, audio didn't drop. So. That is always nerve-wracking when you look and you expect to see something moving and it's not, and you're like, oh, God. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I love my Midas, so I, I'll, don't get me wrong. I love the way Midas sounds, but they need to fix some shit on their desk. <laughs> Well, I love you. <laughs> I don't want to tell too many stories of my own, but I'll sneak this one in real quick. I was I was doing a, a really short little run a couple summers ago, and we were at this venue, and um, I, it was not my band that was that was uh, I was mixing at the time. But all of a sudden, the PA just completely cut out, and the front of house engineer is you know looking at his desk, and he's frantically looking around for the house guy, and the house guy you know can't be found. The band has no idea because their ears are still working, you know, and they're playing, but eventually it becomes clear that the PA isn't working. Yeah. The laptop that controlled the system decided to apply a Windows update in the middle of the show. Oh, my God. See, I don't like that. Why Why does that control the other processor? Like, it should just be, like, a separate... Yeah. You know, it's like if I unplug my Lake computer from the Lake, the Lake doesn't stop working. Right. Yeah. It just, it just like, it just, it's just the control software it's not like yeah it's just like okay well we're disconnected now we're not gonna I, that's that's nice. so scary oh my god i hate that yeah uh pa's gone just from because <laughs> windows wanted up <laughs> goddamn windows updates yep all right man uh let's call this a an episode it was epic uh just awesome, like your man. mixes uh just like you one thousand percent awesomeness and epic uh thank you alex so much oh, i really you, appreciate man. your time this is, uh, super fun and uh look forward to maybe doing it again yeah we'll see i'm thinking about doing some round tables where we get a bunch of engineers together and we just talk about like workflow or we just talk about you know compression and yeah uh, let's do like a multi facetime yeah or whatever zoom call or whatever the hell is going on now when we talk snare we'll get nick online and yes uh, yeah <laughs> oh dude okay we gotta have nick and george and then uh we'll do the ultimate snare showdown cool all right, I'm going to bid everybody farewell. Uh, Alex, you're a gem. I really appreciate thanks, you. Thanks, man. You are too, brother. Yep, thanks. Um, hopefully we'll be out on the road together soon. Uh, until Absolutely. then, stay healthy. And too, uh, man. I'll see you soon. Stay home. <laughs> Words of advice. Yeah, right. See you, man. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Sure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes. 